I'm going to need that. I think I'm loud enough. Y'all be able to hear me without a microphone. So, <clears throat> if not, let me know. How's everybody doing this morning? Y'all with us? Everybody awake? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, there's candy if you need to wake up. Um, so I'm Jason Adam. Uh, appreciate Mark doing a little intro there. Uh, a lot of y'all are familiar faces from uh, our time in middle school, so it's exciting to to continue to watch y'all grow. And um, some of y'all, uh, Judah in the back, uh, we've been teaching since VBS uh, about 100 years ago. There you go. I was journeyman Jason in VBS. And so Judah's, uh, I'm sure, thrilled to be hearing from me again. He can't get rid of me. But uh, so <clears throat> just real quick, as, as we get uh, started here, this is the second week of y'all having um, kind of this parade of, of guest teachers that are going to come through. Um, uh, just recognize, and y'all heard it first hour from Chance, uh, all of us have a responsibility to instruct y'all. Uh, all of us think of y'all uh, as those that we're discipling, just like our own kids. And so uh, there's a whole bunch of people that are going to be coming in here to teach you. Uh, I would challenge you to take advantage of that. This is probably one of the rare times in your life where you're going to have an opportunity to hear from this many people um, and sit under teaching uh, from just a whole group of people in the church that care about you, that love you, that want to see you grow, that want to see you uh, grow to love the Lord like Chance talked about in the in the message this morning. So take advantage of that. I know this is an interesting time for y'all without having a, a dedicated uh, youth leader, but uh, all of us are super excited to come and to be with y'all. To, to teach you, to, to just be a part of what's going on here. Uh, we're texting each other during the week, uh, encouraging each other as we get ready to teach. And so just, just know that we're excited about it. Uh, everybody that's going to be coming in here is, is fired up to come in and talk to you all. So um, just know that as you, uh, as you go into this season. So, and, and I think it's interesting, too, that, that we're going to spend time talking about all these different Bible characters. And um, this is another challenge. Like, all of y'all, a lot of y'all have grown up in church and your parents bring you to church. So you, you know some of the basic facts about these characters, right? You see a list of characters here and you're like, okay, yeah, I know who this guy is. Um, but they're in the Bible uh, as examples, just, just as we heard first hour to instruct us. Uh, there's things from their lives that we need to be able to glean to help us to live. They're not just characters that we know facts about. Um, they're in the Bible for a reason. And so the challenge is not to, to, to not stop with what you've learned in Sunday school. Uh, a lot of y'all, how many, how many seniors are in here? Seniors. And how many juniors? Okay. So this is a little bit different than when you're in 6th and 7th grade. Y'all are, y'all are on the threshold of, of being out in the world and having to function in the world. And so you need to be grabbing up every bit uh, of knowledge and every bit of instruction you can get on uh, how to live for Christ in the world. And so um, as you look forward to all these different uh, characters that you can be hearing about, uh, take, that, take that approach as we go into these. Um, God has a purpose in how he uses every one of, of these people. Um, we see that through all these characters. Some are great leaders, other, others are persecuted prophets, um, and all of them fell short of the standard. So as you think about these characters, these aren't, these aren't the superheroes, right? These aren't people that you can't ever be like, right? 
These people are people who fell short. These are sinners. These are people that were created in God's image, just like every single one of y'all. And Bob, the God used them and put them in the Bible not to, to exalt them, but to exalt Him and to show us how we can live our lives in a way uh, that would exalt Him and bring glory to Him. So, with that said, we are talking about King Solomon today. And you all have heard a little bit about King Solomon recently. How many people went to camp? Higher, I need, hand, I need to see hands. Okay, a lot of y'all. So, so we heard some about King Solomon. What do we, what do we know about King Solomon? What do y'all know? Give me some, give me some Sunday school facts about King Solomon. <clears throat> David's son. That's right. His dad was David. Who was his mom? Bathsheba. That's interesting. What do we know about that? Was that a holy and righteous relationship? No, not really. Um, what else do we know about Solomon? Had a lot of wives. Yep. What else? What was he king over? Israel. Israel. The, the united Israel, right? The last king uh, over united Israel. And his failures actually led to the, the splitting of the northern and southern tribes. He also <clears throat> killed his competition for the kinghood. Kingship, his his brother, um, and you can read about that. It's a pretty interesting story uh, in First Kings. We won't go into that much today, but because there was a violation of an oath, and um, and he and he killed he killed his brother. Uh, he also built the temple, right? We know that. We've heard about Solomon building the temple, so he did a lot of stuff. Um, and as we as we heard this morning in First Kings, uh, when God came to him. What did he ask for? Did he ask for money? Did he ask for comfort? What did he ask for? Wisdom, right? So, and that's that's kind of where y'all camped out, right? During during winter camp. What do we learn about wisdom at winter camp? Anybody have any things that you remember from your notes? It's been a couple weeks. All right. Well, what we're going to look at today is at the end of Solomon's life what he said and what he thought about all that had gone on as he had received that wisdom from the Lord, as he had received all the benefits that the Lord gave him along with that wisdom, uh, and he put those things to work. So we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes this morning to understand um, you know, from the beginning of Solomon's journey when he asked the Lord for wisdom to the end of his journey, uh, what did he learn and what can we learn uh, from his life and from what he learned. So let's turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll just start right at the beginning in Ecclesiastes 1.1. So if y'all have got your Bibles or your electronic devices, <clears throat> let's go to Ecclesiastes 1.1. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 1, the word of the preacher. Who's the preacher? Anybody know? Solomon, all right, good. We're, we're tracking so far. It's good. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his labor in which he labors under the sun? That's the question. <clears throat> so, that's kind of depressing, right? Solomon gets to the end of his life and he says, everything was vanity. 
Here's a guy who had unmatched wisdom, unmatched power and prestige, unmatched wealth, uh, unmatched means for pursuing pleasure and everything that the world has to offer. Um, it was all at his fingertips, and his conclusion was that it was all vanity. So what does that word mean? What do you all think the word vanity means? Any guesses? What's the definition of vanity? Not everybody at once. Meaningless, yeah. Yeah, so he said it's all meaningless. The Hebrew word translated vanity expresses a futile attempt to be satisfied apart from God. So where do you all hear that word used today? Where do you all hear the Anybody, can anybody think of anywhere that you hear the word vanity used? A vanity mirror? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> what else? Vanity Fair magazine? Yeah, which is interesting because we see the word vanity uh, in, a, in a famous book called Pilgrim's Progress. How many people have read Pilgrim's Progress? All right, so, so John Bunyan talks about the Vanity Fair uh, in, in his book. I'm just going to read a, a short little section so we can understand for everybody who hasn't read that uh, what we're talking about here. He says, Beelzebub, Apollyon, and Legion, with their companions, perceiving by the path that the pilgrims made, on their way to the celestial city, lay through this town of vanity. They contrived here to set up a fair, a fair wherein there should be sold all sorts of vanity, and it should be the, and it should last all year long. Therefore, at this fair are such things sold as houses, lands, trades, places, honors, preferments, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, and delights of all sorts: wives, husbands, children, masters, servants. Lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and whatnot. And moreover, at this fair, there are all times to be seen jugglings, cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, and rogues, and that of every kind. Here to be seen too, and that for nothing, thefts, murders, false swearers, and that of a blood-red color, those of the worst kind. So Bunyan helps us to create a picture in our mind of the different ways that Satan is using the things of the world to distract us from getting to the celestial city. These can be good things, like that first list. We saw a lot of good things there. Houses, husbands, wives, neutral things like games and recreation, and even evil things like theft and murder. All of those are open for business at the Vanity Fair. So Solomon stated that all of life is vanity. <clears throat> and so let's dig into a couple of topics that he spends a little bit more time in the book of Ecclesiastes to help us understand uh, and unpacks for us. As Solomon considers the things that he's pursued, he wants us to understand ultimately that none of this brought life. Everything was vanity. It made no difference in his ultimate satisfaction. Um, he gives us a detailed explanation of several things that he pursued with all the vast resources that he had and then what that ended up resulting in. So point one, wisdom cannot bring life. We see this in Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 18. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and explore wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous endeavor which God has given to the sons of men in which to occupy themselves. I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is bent cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I spoke within my heart, saying, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were in Jerusalem before me, and my heart has seen an abundance of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom, 
and to know madness and simple-minded folly, I came to know that this also is striving after wind. Because in much wisdom there is much vexation, and whoever increases knowledge increases pain. So Solomon says here that all the resources that he used to pursue wisdom, all it brought him was pain. So that seems kind of strange, right? I thought we were supposed to be pursuing wisdom. Is that what y'all thought? So how does this not line up? What are we not seeing here? Um, This this passage makes it sound like pursuing wisdom is a bad thing, but that doesn't line up with the rest of what we see in Scripture. So it doesn't line up with the rest of what we learned at camp. So when that happens, we need to dig in and and make sure that we're understanding correctly what we're talking about here because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. What kind of wisdom is Solomon referring to here? What's that? Earthly, yeah. Yeah, so, so Solomon's talking about experiential wisdom, not supernatural or biblical wisdom. Uh, the Bible describes true wisdom as living skillfully according to God's word, but that's not what Solomon's describing here. What he's saying is he took all the capabilities that the Lord gave him, <clears throat> and he went about using them to become as wise as possible in an earthly sense, to try to know things, to try to, be, to use wisdom uh, to bring life. Um, and it didn't. We see that in verses 12 through 17. And he says in the middle of that, that, and yet I know that the fate of one becomes the fate of all of them. Then I said in my heart, as is the fate of the fool, so will my fate be also. When the, sorry, why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to my heart, this too is vanity. <clears throat> he recognized that all the wisdom in the world could not stop the inevitability of death that was coming for us all, and that ultimately his pursuit of worldly wisdom did not produce life It only produced vanity. Next, point two, pleasure-seeking and possessions cannot bring life. We see this in Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with gladness so that you shall see good things. And behold, it too was vanity. I said of laughter, it is madness. And of gladness, what does it do? I explored with my heart how to stimulate my body with wine while my heart was guiding me wisely and how to seize simple-minded folly until I could see where this is good for the sons of men and what they do under heaven the few days of their lives. I made my works great. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made for myself gardens and parks, and I planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made for myself pools of water from which to water a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of the sons of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes asked for, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any gladness, for my heart was glad because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I turned to all my works which my hands had done, and the labor which I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no advantage under the sun. I think of all the lessons in the Bible, this is the one that we in America have not learned. Right? This, our culture screams at us to pursue uh, our own desires. Right, our own pleasure, our own possessions. We see there as Solomon went through that list, 
It's my, 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 right? I did this for me. My gardens, uh, my trees, my pools. It was all for him. Uh, and he realized that that was vanity. And yet we continue to fall into that same trap, right? Satan continues to use that lie. And he uses it because we continue to fall into it, right? And I think as Americans, uh, we have so much wealth. We have so many things around us that it is so easy for us to pursue those things uh, that bring us pleasure, uh, that accumulate possessions for us, um, and, and we fall into that trap over and over again. And teenagers may be the worst offenders, right? Y'all are, y'all are just now starting to get some freedom. Y'all are just now starting to have the opportunity to, to make some decisions, to pursue some things, and it's really easy to fall into that. And that's not a dig at y'all. That's not picking on teenagers. All of us who are older have been there. All of us have been through that. Um, that's just a natural part of, of growing up and taking on those things. And so you have to be aware that that, that is a challenge as, as you get freedom to want to desire your own things, to pursue your own things. Um, you feel like your whole life you've had to do what your parents tell you or you had to do what your teachers tell you. And now I'm finally getting to the age where I can actually make some decisions, right? I can actually do some things. But Solomon warns us that he's done that. He's done that in spades, and there was nothing but vanity to that. Whether it's the influencers on social media and YouTube, the commercials you see when you watch TV or when you stream your favorite shows, or even those shows themselves, uh, or the music even that the world puts out there for us, it's all aimed at, at telling us to pursue ourselves, to pursue pleasure for ourselves, pursue what makes you happy. You do you, your truth, follow your heart, tell your story. Everything's about you. You're being told that being part of the selfie generation is a good thing, but it's actually a really dangerous thing that does not bring life. Solomon pursued this to a degree that we can't even imagine. He had more money than Elon Musk. He had more power than the most powerful ruler that we can even imagine in in our time. he had more influence than whatever social media influencer y'all can think of. I don't know any. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of them that have lots of influence. But this was a guy who had more influence than any king who's ever lived before or since. And he took it upon himself, given all those resources and given all that, to kind of test the hypothesis for us, to see if there was life in pursuing self, pursuing the things uh, that he wanted. <clears throat> And I think what we see here is that it was an emphatic answer of no. Life cannot be found in pursuing your own pleasure, your own possessions. So that's a lot of negative stuff, right? Sounds a pretty pretty bummer of a message. Um, But the good thing is that life can be found, and and Solomon tells us uh, that life can be found uh, in in this life true life. And so we're going to look at a couple ways uh, where uh, things that do bring life that we can learn from from Solomon. So let's turn to Ecclesiastes 3.11 and look at the first one. The first thing that brings life is enjoying God. He says in 3.11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. So he has set eternity in our heart. That means that we will find ultimate uh, satisfaction. We will find life in things that are eternal. 
And God is eternal. That is one of His attributes. <laughs> Things that aren't eternal can't ultimately bring us satisfaction because we were created for eternity. We have to recognize that. This lines up with the Westminster Shorter Catechism that says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The enjoyment of God, <clears throat> if, it's an, if it's our goal, can bring life. We don't enjoy God as a means to an end. We don't enjoy God because we hope that, well, maybe like Solomon, he'll give me riches, right? Maybe he'll give me power and influence. God is not a tool for us to use to get our own glory, right? This is why Jesus came. He told us, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And this is the epitome of the whole redemption story. <clears throat> we weren't rescued from the domain of darkness so we could be into a meaningless existence focused on ourselves, right? Just pursuing our own desires. But we were transferred to the kingdom of life. We were transferred uh, into Jesus Christ. That's what Paul told the Corinthian church, the church that was struggling immensely with selfishness and pride. Y'all have heard this verse quite a bit, I'm sure. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I want you to notice something in here. Paul doesn't tell them whether you study, meditate, or pray. Right? We know that those things glorify God. We know that we should be doing those things. Um, and sometimes we do struggle to do those things consistently right? as Christians. But more often, we really struggle to enjoy God outside of those things. We, we struggle to take those things that we read and those things that we learn and to actually put them into our lives and actually enjoy the lives that God's given us uh, by enjoying Him. To recognize how much better even the normal boring things of life are when we experience them with an understanding that they are all under God's sovereign direction and they're all working to bring Him the glory He deserves uh, when we remember that He is the giver of good gifts. And we see all the good gifts in our lives. We recognize all the good things that we have. And we give praise and honor to Him uh, for them. And not just use them to bring our own glory or to bring us uh, attention, worship, love, right, or comfort. So we need to enjoy God. We need to enjoy God in all the good things that we have. Our second point is that we need to find contentment in God's portion for us. You see that in Ecclesiastes 3, 12 through 15. Solomon says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to be glad and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks and sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will be forever and there's nothing to add to it, and there's nothing to take from it. God has so worked that men should fear Him. <clears throat> that which has already, sorry, that which has been already, and that which has, will be, has already been, yet God seeks what is pursued. So, <clears throat> similar to how we enjoy God in the good things that we have in life, when we have trials, when we have hard things, we need to be focused on finding contentment in those things. We need to find contentment in, in things... Uh, it, sorry. <clears throat> when we find contentment in, in things, uh, it's really crucial in, in helping us to continue to enjoy God even when things aren't good. So what are some things that y'all deal with that lead to discontentment? What are some, what are, what are some things that y'all see 
in your lives where you tend to get discontent about situations? Not enough sleep? Work? How many of y'all work? Yeah. What else? Where do you find yourself becoming discontent? School? What makes you discontent about school? It's hard? Yeah. Money? You have some? Uh, Yeah, not enough. Yeah. Yeah. What about friendships? Do all your friendships always go the way you want them to? Do people that you think are your friends always act like they're really your friends? No. We've got a nice, beautiful day out there, but sometimes, even the weather, right, we get discontent with... You know, I really wanted to do this thing today, and now it's raining, and I can't do this thing. Um, maybe I, I wanted to hang out with my friends this weekend, and my parents made me stay home and clean my room and do yard work, right? <clears throat> maybe, you, uh, maybe you're discontent because you're sitting in a hard plastic chair right now for an hour listening to me, Right? What's really critical is when we, when we evaluate the things that make us discontent, we have to understand positionally where we, where we stand compared to a holy God. Right? We just talked about how we need to enjoy uh, God. And so we need to understand that we don't deserve even the hard things that we have. Right? Uh, Romans 3 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There's none who does good, not even one. And he continues on. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. So when we recognize what we really deserve, it's an incredible help in keeping a thankful heart. It's an incredible help in not becoming discontent with the things that God's given us as our portion. And it helps us to agree with the Apostle Paul when he said in Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak from want, for I learn to be content in whatever circumstances I am. This is something that, that is really, incre- really <clears throat> important to learn in our lives, is to be content in the hard things. This is not a passive thing. Our hearts aren't naturally bent towards this, right? This doesn't come natural to y'all, right? You're not like really content that you have this impossible test coming up that you haven't had enough time to study for and you don't think you're going to do well on, right? You're not naturally content when somebody is talking behind your back and saying something that's not true uh, to some of your friends, right? This is something we have to work at. (coughs) Jeremiah Burroughs, in his epic book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, says that Christian contentment is a spiritual mystery and that it is a sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. This is something we have to lean in on and continue to learn throughout our life. But Solomon's letting us know uh, that there is nothing better than this. There is nothing better than to find contentment in the things that God has ordained. 
So one more thing that I want to go over that Solomon indicates here as we look through Ecclesiastes in, in terms of finding true life in this world, and that's that we need to fear God and keep His commandments. And this lines up with, again, with what Chance had to say this morning, right? We need to fear God. He says in Ecclesiastes 12, 9-14, In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The end of the matter, all that has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments, because this is the end of the matter for all mankind. For God will bring every work to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. This is the end of the matter, he says. If we're going to find life in this world, it must be found in fearing God and obeying Him out of love and devotion to Him. And we see this all through Solomon's Proverbs, right? That's probably the most famous book that we're all familiar with that Solomon wrote. That's probably the one that y'all been that y'all spent most time out of what Solomon's written so far in your life, right? How many of y'all have spent a lot of time in Song of Solomon? Anybody? Yeah. That, that comes later. But Proverbs, how many, how many of your parents spend time in Proverbs? How many times, how many books are in Proverbs? Anybody know? 31. Sorry, chapters. <laughs> Connor knew what I was saying. Connor was tracking with me. 31, right? So there's one for each day of the month. <clears throat> so I want you all to turn to Proverbs real quick, and we're going we're gonna to do a little speed speed read through the book of Proverbs and what it has to say about fearing the Lord. We'll start right at the very beginning, Proverbs 1.1. 1, 1. So in Proverbs 1.1, 1, 1, Solomon's telling us what this book's going to be about. <clears throat> and he starts out right out of the gate. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and discipline, to understand the sayings of understanding, to receive discipline that leads to insight, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the youth knowledge and discretion. Let the wise man hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire guidance, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. And here it is. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. That's the thread that runs through this entire book. So go, let's go to 3.7 now. It's going to be like a sword drill. We're just going to keep flipping. 3.7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. 8.13, the fear of Yahweh is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the mouth of perverted words I hate. <clears throat> nine ten. Who wants to read nine ten? Yes, sir. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. There you go. Fourteen twenty six. In the fear of Yahweh, there is strong security, and His children will have refuge. Continuing the next verse, The fear of Yahweh is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. 16.6 6. 
By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of Yahweh, one turns away from evil. 1923. <clears throat> the fear of Yahweh leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, not visited by evil. 2224. <clears throat> the reward of humility, the fear of Yahweh, is riches, glory, and life. And 2317. Do not let your heart be jealous of sinners, but be zealous in the fear of Yahweh always. So regardless of what you pursue in your life, whether it's intellectual, social, athletic, monetary, political, if it's focused on this life, if it's focused on you and, and what you can get and what you can accumulate, it will be vanity. Ecclesiastes 2.26 says, for to, a man, <clears throat> for to a man who is good before him, he has given wisdom and knowledge and gladness, while to the sinner he has given the endeavor of gathering and collecting, so that he may give to one who is good before God. This too is vanity and striving after wind. I know as a teenager sometimes it's easy to think that, that you, see, you see older people, older saints in the church, you see your parents and you think, well, man, Life, life is long, right? It's going to be a long time till, till, I'm, uh, till I have gray hair or till I'm bald or until I'm you know, old like this guy, right? But life's a breath. Uh, life goes by incredibly fast. And you all will continue to learn that uh, uh, as you go through your life. Um, <clears throat> life is a breath and then we're gone. And this is why we're commanded to keep our eyes on Christ and not on this world. We see in Colossians 3, it says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you died, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. And in a parallel verse in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And like I said earlier, this doesn't mean that all we should be doing is reading our Bible and praying 24 hours a day. This is not what God's called us to. He's called us ultimately to be ambassadors. And ambassadors are those who represent the one who's sending them in everything they do. We're representing the creator of life, the creator of joy, of beauty, um, and we're, re we're representing him in everything that we do. And so we have to keep that in mind. It's, this life, this Christian life, is not about just humdrum, duty, uh, putting our head down and just grinding through it and just trying to survive until we get to heaven. Eternal life is, is not just for heaven. It's not just a length of time. Eternal life is for now. Eternal life is having our eyes set on the things that are above as we do all the things that God gives us to do, right? And y'all are starting to do more and more of those things. Y'all are starting, like you said, y'all are starting to get jobs. Um, you're start, starting to go out and to spend time with friends and to uh, enjoy the life that God's given you. And what we learn from Solomon is that we have to be really careful to make sure that we don't take all of that and make that about us because that's vanity.
And we're going to get to the end of our life having spent all of our effort on ourselves and there's going to be an emptiness that Solomon warns us about. That everything we did was for nothing because it's all passing away. So, there's lots of things to enjoy, right? Y'all, y'all have lots of things to enjoy. I think if you take time to, to really take an inventory of all the things that you have to be thankful for uh, and, and to take your focus off the things that are easy to, to look at and be discontent about, there's lots of things that we can celebrate. There's lots of ways where we can praise the Lord for all the good things that He's given us. What are some good things that y'all think that come to mind as y'all think about things that, that, uh, that y'all can be thankful for? Yeah. Good church, yeah. What else? What's that? Air conditioning? Not enough in here. Oh, well, it helps if it's on. Yeah. I took that as a hint. What else? Your Bible? What do y'all do for fun? Y'all have fun? Does anybody in high school have fun anymore? Because I remember high school being a lot of fun. So I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on here. What do y'all do for fun? What's that? Sleep? Yeah, I know you sleep for fun, Judah. Yeah. Nobody has anything that they do for fun. Sports? Yeah. Work on your car. Yeah. What else? Hunting? Oh, 3D printing. Sorry. Yeah. Hunt. Yeah. What do you 3D print? Stuff. Good. Yes. Let's be thankful for stuff. <laughs> Food. I'll say parents for y'all. Nobody's going to say parents. My girls are here. They didn't say parents. <laughs> so, hey. <clears throat> and I, I, I'm not picking on y'all because this is, this is something I struggle with too, right? We need to take time to really take inventory of the things we have to be thankful for. There's a whole lot more. I mean, we could literally stand here all day. How many people are thankful that there's air to breathe? Right? And the sun shines. Have you ever, have y'all ever been in a situation where the sun doesn't shine for a while? Has anybody ever been like Alaska in the winter? Right? Or Wisconsin? Or Seattle? Right? Any place, yeah, any place in Europe? Uh, we can be thankful for sunshine, that we can go out and do fun things outside, that, that we have the ability to, to run and jump and to, to have fun and play games and play volleyball when you all do that on Wednesdays. And all the things that we have. I mean, just all day long, there's just so many things that we have that we can be thankful for and that we can enjoy God and thank God for. The problem is we're usually more worried about how they benefit us, right? How am I going to get the glory from this? And that's where we really need to learn from what Solomon's taught us. Because this is an application that is every day, all day, every minute that you're awake. 
um, like we talked about in the chance talked about in the first hour, right? Everything we do as we walk along the way, we're we're praising, we're thanking the Lord, we're recognizing all the good gifts that we have from the Lord, uh, in everything we do, not just when we're reading our Bible, not just when we're praying, not just on Sundays when we come here, but in everything we do, uh, as teenagers, as young adults, um, we need to be recognizing the giver of all these good gifts. And that's the way to life. That's what Solomon tells us. That is where life's at. Fearing God, keeping His commandments, enjoying Him. That's where life is found. And so that's the challenge for y'all. You've got a week here before you come back. or Well, several. I mean, you don't have a week. You've got several days till y'all are going to get together on Wednesday. And on Wednesday, y'all are going to talk through this lesson. You're going to talk through what we see in Ecclesiastes, and there's going to be some questions answered. So spend a couple days just doing an inventory of what are the things that I have to be thankful for that I just totally overlook, that I don't even notice? Maybe even the things that, that I see that make me discontent that I really should be celebrating, that I really should be giving thanks for, that I really should be uh, praising the Lord for, as opposed to allowing them to, to bring discontentment uh, into my life. Because, listen, y'all, y'all are um, at, a, at an incredibly fun and exciting time of life. Right, you're becoming uh, adults. You're you're growing, and the Lord is shaping you into the people that He's going to have you to be as you leave out of your house and you go to create your own families and your own lives. So, be excited about life. Be excited about all the things that God has for you to do, even if some of them are hard. School's hard, okay? School's hard for all of us, right? Enjoy it. Enjoy the life that God's given you. Um, Resist the temptation to make it all about yourself and resist the temptation to be discontent because things aren't going exactly how you want them to go. And instead, enjoy God, enjoy the provision, find contentment, uh, and find life. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, the lesson that we heard this morning from the pulpit, Lord. Uh, challenge to us uh, to to love you and to love you with everything that we do and with all of our being. And I just uh, pray for these high school students uh, that you would just help them to see your goodness, to see uh, how good you are, Lord, and that they would recognize that in your sovereignty um, that you are looking out for them, that you uh, desire good for them, and Lord, that they would see all the things that they have to be thankful for, that they would love you, that they would serve you, that they would fear you, and that they would order their lives around uh, your word and around the things that you call them to do. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that it gives us. We thank you that you don't leave us to wonder what life is about, Lord. You tell us where life is found. And I just pray that we would each be faithful to pursue life. Um, the way that you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.